Carol Barbie, welcome inside the crazy ant farm. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, us too. Us too. So much to talk to you about. Oh my goodness. Talk about an inspiring story. We have a little bit of connection as well because we see that you came from Concord, North Carolina. And yeah. <laughs> we are frequent frequent visitors of Cornelius and Davidson in that area, so cannot wait and to talk I to you about that. Oh, uh, I have family there, uh, and and so they they've been living there for quite a while, and so we travel back and forth a lot. Uh, big fans of the area, Lo love Charlotte and the whole surrounding area, so very cool. Um, and yeah. yeah, and first before we get started, we just want to say huge congratulations, and we'll be talking about this throughout the interview. But huge congratulations on raising Dion. Yes. Um, just an absolutely epic show. We're huge fans, um, so we could not be more happy for the huge success for that. Thank you so much. You know, I, it's so good to hear that because, you know, I've lived with it for so long and we had a, an audience of just a little handful of people with it for so long and now it's like, wow, other people are seeing it, so thank you. It's oh, really good to hear that. Absolutely, absolutely. And we're going to talk all about that. But what we like to do is we have a lot of listeners um, uh, and fans of the show who are trying to break into the industry. And so we're thrilled to have people like yourself come on and join us because you've been doing it for such a long time. And, and, and we like to just ask, how did you get started in it? Was it something you always kind of wanted to do? And then just kind of go into, you know, some stuff and advice about how to, how to do what you do uh, in the industry. So how did you get started? Was writing something you always envisioned yourself doing? Or we know you did some acting as well, right? Yeah, when I was a, when I was a kid in Concord, I used to tell people I was going to be a writer. But I think I meant a novelist because I didn't really know that television or movie writers existed you know i didn't know what yeah. that was but um i always kind of meant to be a writer but I, I honestly had a pretty quiet normal life and i thought i gotta do something interesting before i have something to write about so um i was always involved in theater I, i'm a singer i was always singing in my church and then i would sing on the way up you know doing musicals and stuff and so um i ended up being a theater major <clears throat> at Wake Forest, which is where I went to undergrad, and then I got into the MFA acting program at UCLA, and I came out to, UC to UCLA just to go to, you know, do the two-year acting program. I got my acting MFA, and I worked for, I don't know, eight years maybe as an actress, a lot of theater, a lot of, you know, some sitcoms, but mostly, other than theater, mostly doing one-hour dramas. Right. It's sort of the form I knew the best, and so... I got an idea at one point for what I thought was going to be a play, but it ended up it was about a, it was about photographers, and so I thought, oh no, I think this should probably be a screenplay, but I don't know how to write a screenplay. So <laughs> I started taking um, I took a class at UCLA Extension Night School just just to write that screenplay, and I ended up taking three classes in a row to write it and finish it. And when I finished it. Um, it won an award that UCLA did with DreamWorks at the time called the Diane Thomas Award. And, um, and when that happened, I, you know, I had meetings with agents and um, people were asking me what I wanted to do. And what I really wanted to do, I realized when I was doing that feature film, it just took so long and it was not exactly my pace. I'm really proud of the screenplay, but I, I thought, no, I, I want to do one-hour dramas. That's about the right pace for me. I'm pretty... Mm -hmm. You know, I like uh, more um, immediate gratification. So, <laughs> right, right. Uh, so I, uh, I, I wrote a couple of television specs, and then 
got an agent through that award and then went on a couple of meetings and one of them was for a show that had not yet aired. It was a brand new show, but they were looking for a couple of female writers to join the staff. And it was Providence, the show that mm, uh, was yeah, on yeah. NBC. And it, it, it's before it premiered. And so they hired me to do a freelance episode before they premiered. And then once we, pre- my show, my, my script went really well. And when we premiered, they were a big hit and it ran for five years. And so I was really lucky that the first job I got lasted for five years. Cause it's hard to get the first one, but it's really right. hard to get the first one several times in a row. If right. the show doesn't last, you know? Mm-hmm. So, th- so that's what I did. And then by the time I left, um, Providence, when we were finally canceled, um, then I went to judging Amy and right after I, I mean, the year I was there, um, three showrunners got fired right in front of me and ultimately I ended up being the showrunner last man standing wow. and and I became a showrunner for them so that really helped things but in terms of like how to get into the business I think that um, you have to write and write, write specs I, I, nowadays people don't really want to read uh, spec pilots of other people or spec episodes of other people's shows they really want to read original right. content right. and um, I've always felt that way I, I uh, even when I first started show running I would just say look I'll take anything a short story I'll take a an essay I'll take a you know a, a screenplay I'll read maybe the first whatever 10 20 30 pages of it but I, I just want to hear you talk I want to hear see how you um, how you structure a scene right. and how you uh, how your characters talk so I think that's a big thing is just to have material that reflects you. I think some people make the mistake and I've made this mistake in the past of thinking, well, I need to be, I need to be on the coolest show possible. And so even if it's not a show that I actually watch or like or would ever really want to write, I better write that one. Right, (laughs) right. You know, I want to be cool. And, um, (laughs) and I think that's a mistake because I think ultimately, uh, you will have a wheelhouse and you can do many, many things. I mean, I, I, I've written in a lot of different genres, but there's sort of a core at the, that, that will tell you that it's mine, I think. Right. Um, because, because of the way the story unfolds and how the characters are. Wow. That, that, I, I love that entire sequence. Yeah. I, I just, I, and I really like how you did, how you opened it up. You're like, well, before I can write, I've actually got to do something like interesting. Right. You know, <laughs> like how am I supposed to write? Yeah, exactly. What am I going to write about? I, we we hear that though. That's a theme for from a lot of the guests and, and our own personal belief also that you just have to get out there and live life exactly. and take chances and take yes. risks. And that that's what what it's all about, especially in this industry. I mean, if you don't do that, you, you, why are you even doing it? Um. So yeah, that's a brilliant story, and yeah. I just love how you i want to talk a little bit too about the differences because you said you knew right away that that the the timing and the scope of it you wanted to do television over uh film Mm -hmm. um yeah what because they are dramatically different when you're writing right i mean writing a teleplay as opposed to a screenplay is, is a lot different right it is i mean at the time it was the form i knew the best because i had just read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of one hour dramas because Mm -hmm. of auditioning for them and doing them right and so it was really a form that it just made sense to me i liked it and also for my entertainment i i kind of like an hour is good for me like Mm. that's good you know i (laughs) I don't need to sit there for four hours um so but i but also at the time uh, well even now 
television is a collaborative medium and mm-hmm. I'm a really social person and I'll sit down and do my work. I will. I will. That's not a problem. Deadlines are, I, I will get the work done. I want to get an A, but, um, <laughs> uh, but I like being around other people and in television, you have a writer's room. Most rooms have, I mean, most shows have a writer's room. Not all, but uh, you normally have a writer's room. And I'm not a big believer in having that room going all the time. I like to say, okay, we're going to break story these days mm-hmm. from these these hours. I feel like five hours in a writer's room and everybody's brain dead. You, you really need to optimize your time in there. But, um, but you're never alone. Even if you're back in your office or at home writing your script... You always have access to several other people who are invested in telling the same story you are, and you really get each other out of, you know, blocks or ruts or whatever. And you don't have the luxury of writer's block because mm-hmm. you are on deadlines. Right. And it's actually great. We, you just, you, if you need some help, you go down the hall uh, or you call your showrunner or whatever, and um, and you and and there you have it. And I also just like the immediate gratification of like. You have in network in network. This isn't really true in cable, and certainly not true in, in Netflix. Um, but in network, you know when your show's going to air before you even start writing it. Right. You are right. on a schedule, and it's going to happen. That train yeah. is moving, and so um, it, there's something about knowing that that it's going to get out there, and that that focuses the mind. I used to say, like, I, I when the terror strikes, that's when I get really serious about my writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and as you've done it longer and longer, the terror waits longer and longer to strike. But when, but it will strike. So, um, but I like that about it too. And now, of course, television is the place to be because you can tell so many different stories. And film has come to television because, right now at least, most of the films are are you know superhero stories, which I'm a big fan of. But they're all big CGI monster fights. Right. Where they are, you know, a few. Uh, Oscar, you know, they're, they're Oscar bait, and God bless those, but for the most part, the kinds of movies that I would want to write, they're now on Netflix and Amazon, and, um, you know, they're, 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 they're smaller stories, but they're deeper stories, right. and they go on for a much longer time. Right. I like the fact that in television, you can you can fold out characters and stories incrementally and really have it feel real and have it uh, be detailed and um so yeah i just i love the tv i always did love the tv format but i particularly love it now well even more so i mean you see all these limited series coming out especially on netflix it makes me wonder how how often those were supposed to be films but then transferred over to the television side just because they felt like they could tell the story better through however many episodes for the limited series rather than the hour and a half, two hours for the film. So that makes complete I think that sense. happens a lot. Yeah. I, I'll tell you that I've been sent books that uh, were like bestsellers and all this stuff, and but they're several years old, and I'm like, where's this book been? Mm-hmm. And they go, oh, well, you know, they thought they want to make a film of it, but it's a, but it's a book-like uh, you know, it's a book like Game of Thrones. Like you couldn't make a movie. Right. Like, <laughs> there's no way. Trying to make a movie in yeah. Game of Thrones, you know. And you get these amazing stories, and you're like, you can't cram that into two and a half hours. Right. Um. So television now that the quality is there, and that there's a multitude of platforms, so that you can find the right place to do it. Mm-hmm. Television is is so much better for those stories. Yeah. You, you you read something now, and you go. Oh wait a minute! I think this actually is a film because it's really kind of a one-off story. It's right. not something that has like legs for to go on for 
for a while. Absolutely. Okay, so I want to play devil's advocate and kind of the other side of the sword because we, we, we pride ourselves on, on, on being robust and round and, and, and equal All everywhere. Right. So <laughs> with the invention of streaming and, and binge watching, if you will, do you yeah. think or have you seen, because I feel like sometimes, especially on network now, there are some, and, and one example that I'm just going to throw out there right now because we don't know the fate of it is uh, Bluff City Law on NBC. Um, uh-huh. Do you feel like... You don't have enough time to do what you said at the top of that, that the little story right there about um, developing the characters over a period of time and telling your story. Do you feel like that maybe, especially on network, that's gone? Because if you don't come right out of the gate with 17 million viewers, I feel like three episodes in, they're talking about canceling you. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, have you seen that or have you found oh, that yeah. side of the struggle? And, and what's that like as a, as a writer or a showrunner knowing that if you don't come flying right out of the gate, you might not be able to tell your whole story? Like, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that there are differences in, in the platforms of network and cable and streamers. And we're all sort of finding where our comfort levels are. But, but, but sometimes because of the way those platforms work, it, it requires a certain kind of storytelling. So I think you're absolutely right. With network, one of the things I found so frustrating about network is that they they were feeling those pressures for, because cable was getting so many of their viewers. Now it's it, it's like if you don't get that big number, you really are like for episode two. They're starting to make their decision. And, wow! And maybe wow. even before, maybe even with the testing. You know, it it feels like when I left network, it was it felt frustrating because you would put so much time and energy into something, and it was over so quickly if you didn't make the big splash Mm -hmm. and then after that you were just trying to get the network to pour more money into advertising or to believe in you or to whatever and they were lowering your budget because you're and i I get it they have a business to run what i would say about what i would say about streaming um which i which i i vastly prefer right now and here's why with net with raising dion uh we had they t- they gave us the time. It, they said take the time it takes. It'll take the time it takes when the when the pilot script is ready to shoot. We will let you know, and then we'll let you go get a writer's room and, and write the rest of them. When you've written all the script and we're all good with them, and we feel like oh yeah yeah this is the story we we need to tell, then we'll start prepping for production. Then you'll go shoot it. So everything's done like kind of in the time it takes. Right. And right. at the end of the day. I was, I mean, you, what ends up happening is your friends don't know where you are for three years. And it's you're <laughs> off, you know, you're, you're just, you're in a rabbit hole doing one story for, the, I literally pitched Raising Dion a, uh, August 10th, 2016, and I, it aired August 4th, 2019. Right. So, so I feel like you, you're so deeply into it and you're off telling one story and then it drops. But here's the good news. They're all there. And I feel like. With a story like Raising Dion, I, I think it really benefits from everybody knowing that there's big stuff coming, and you can actually even see some of it. You wouldn't do that in network. You would get one bite at a time, and maybe you lose a lot of your audience in the first one or two. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with Netflix or whatever, streamers who drop them all at once, you're in for a, It's like, here's the story I'm telling you, and if you're interested, you can see the whole thing right now. Right. 
I, I love okay great answer because I mean I don't, and wow it was alarming when you say maybe even by the second episode or before they're already making the decision yeah. that's got to be yeah. so tough I agree with you I do like the streaming format a lot and you have choice if you want to watch one episode a week that's up to you but if you want it all yeah. at once you've got that so that's an awesome yeah th- well even more so on the creative side of things they give you that time you feel like you need to actually develop and grow these characters into something great which you know they can be. But the downfall to that with the cable and network is that they want it so quick. They need those numbers so quick. So you're not able to grow that core audience to these characters that you know they'll love if you just give them time. Exactly. Exactly. Like you said, the train the train is leaving no matter what because you know it it, it airs this date and it's airing no matter what. So. Yeah, and you feel like in uh, you can feel like in network. And look, I haven't worked in network in several years, so I'm, I imagine they're adapting to what's going on in cable and and, and streaming. But um, yeah, there just is that feeling that it has to be loud and fast, mm, and right. everybody has to. And it's for the broadcast audience, right? It's for a broad audience, and so there are certain shows where you you know that the audience you're going for. They're okay. They're going to sit there and they're going to be patient and they're yep. okay with quiet in right. the beginning. And they're okay with that. But when you're doing a broad audience, you can't, nobody's going to sit still for that. The, no. the executives aren't going to sit still for <laughs> no. that. They're, not gonna, they're going to say, no, you have to come out of the gate and it has to be obvious to everybody what this show's about. And we have to get the premise in the teaser. And, you know, so it's just a different way of telling the story. And it also dictates what kind of stories work well in that, in that format. You know, I think there are certain things that work great on network that, I mean, obviously there are good dramas, there are good everything, but I think particularly the formats of, um, I think sci-fi mm-hmm. works, can, can work very well on network. I think comedies work really well on network. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I, I just feel like that it starts to, you start to read material and go, okay, I think this needs a little bit more of a slow burn mm-hmm. or it needs an audience that you know you're going to have with you and and that they're okay hearing a story uh, incrementally definitely definitely and let's dive even more deep into raising dion you said it took you roughly around two years for the whole thing the whole series to take shape at what point did michael b sign on was he signed on as a cast member first or and then an executive producer or how did that come about michael b found the property oh. he was there he was ground zero he was number nice. one nice um so, so there's a, a, a director named Dennis Liu mm-hmm. uh, who came out of NYU and he wanted to make a calling card for himself to get work, obviously, and he did a really smart thing. He shot a, he, he, made, he primi- primarily was uh, working in commercials, and so he shot a commercial for a show that didn't exist. Mm. And so there's a trailer on, net, on uh, YouTube uh, called Raising Dion, and it's, and that's what Michael B. Jordan saw. And it's really like moments out of, you know, oh, this is what it could be. Mm-hmm. And it's it's beautifully put together. And so uh, a lot of people found that trailer, and Michael B. was one of them. And one of the other people who found it was a man named Charles King, who had just started a company called Macro. Mm-hmm. And Charles King used to be Michael B.'s agent at WME. And so the, the two of them were bidding against each other oh, trying wow. to get the property. <laughs> And then they were like, why don't we just do this together? So Charles and Macro and Michael B. are the ones who then took it to Netflix and sold it to Netflix. So he's always been there. And then when um, they developed it with Netflix, 
um, for, I think, about a year. That was before my time. I didn't know anything about it, but they developed it for about a year and then ultimately kind of threw away what had been developed. And Netflix loved the idea enough that they said, all right, let's try it one more time. And so they brought in, a, I don't know, a handful of writers uh, to pitch their ideas of how to do this show. And I was one of those writers because uh, I think they they expanded their search to include moms at that point. <laughs> yeah. And um, so that's how I got in the door. And then they basically said to me, we're not going to show you anything that was developed before. Just look at that trailer that Dennis did. And there's there's a one there's a one issue proof of concept uh, um, comic book online that that Dion doesn't even appear in. It's really like a story about Mark and Nicole before Dion's born. Right. And so they said you can look at those two things, but that's it. And we wow. want Harry Potter. So come in and, <laughs> and just your version of Harry Potter. And so uh, there were kind of no limits. So I just came in and I pitched them the whole. I pitched them the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then uh, they said, great, go do that. And so I I wrote the pilot and in development with them and that took about three or four months and then they go okay great get a writer's room so i got these amazing writers and we broke story for about six months and wrote scripts and then uh and then all the writers were gone and it was just me and a bunch of scripts and i had to get them ready for production and then we went to atlanta and shot for about five months and and then so it, I, I forgot one crucial thing. In between, I'd written a script, and Michael was Michael B. Jordan was always involved with the de- development of it. He was always on the phone calls. He was right. always in the meetings. He was always giving notes. He was always there. And then um, they got the script finally, and Netflix was like, "We're really happy with the script." And there was just that moment of like, "But if Michael was in the show, right. like, <laughs> you know." And Michael had sort of said from the beginning, he had told me from the beginning, look, if I need to be in the show, I'll be in the show. I had, I had pitched it with him as the dad. Right. And so um, he was always up for that. So then he did. And he was magnificent. And he was. Such a good partner. And Well, I got to tell you, yeah. too. He was in a lot more episodes than I anticipated. Yeah, like when same. I first heard about the series and I thought, and you know, and he was out there talking about it and stuff, I'm like, well, this is good, but he can't possibly be like in a, and he's yeah. in a lot of the show. I mean, he's like heavily featured in the show, which was awesome, which, which leads me to let's talk about the casting oh, because look, at the, you know, when you were talking about the, you know, the differences between film and television and you, and you brought up the superhero genre and the films and the CGI and all this stuff, what I think you did brilliantly with Raising Dion is you're telling a superhero story, but you're keeping it grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the family dynamic and, and the realism and the personalism between these characters that you were able to keep in this story is absolutely phenomenal. And I think that's because the casting is brilliant. I mean, these people are so believable in the roles that you created and the roles that you've written. And you, you just feel for them like you can identify and attach to them immediately. So how did you go about casting this show? Because, I mean, they're just perfect. Thank you. And thank you for saying all that. I can't tell you how happy that makes me. Thank you. Um, well, we, you know, first of all, you start from Michael B. Jordan. So right, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he was cast before anybody. That's a good um, start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, then, um, you know, then we had a casting director, Christine Cromer, who's in New York City, and she's fantastic. And so we had her just scouring the place for kids. And um, she, we saw a billion zillion kids. And then, but fairly early on, 
uh, Josiah Young, who plays Dion. Josiah showed up on one of the casting tapes in New York. He's from Pennsylvania, but he, he auditioned out of New York. And he kind of very quickly was the front runner. We all really loved him, and he seemed, he was just natural. A lot of kids, God bless them, uh, are kind of programmed, right? right? And you can tell that their parents have, have just, you know, rehearsed it within an inch of its life. And right. I understand why, but when that person gets on a set, they need to be able to, well, they need to be more natural than that. But in our, our auditions, we had them do the lines, but we also had them um, improv because we, we want to just get them out of those line readings. Right. And Josiah just, just didn't really have the line readings. He, he was so funny. He came into the, um, we had a final, final callback, uh, sort of a chemistry read. We had five Dion's and five mothers and we had not yet found Alicia. We had five other, uh, moms and, um, we had, we mix and matched and had them all work together and stuff. And just, but when Josiah came in the room, he was like, I, I am Dion. No, I, I am Dion. And he did, he did this thing where he did like a magic trick where he made the, he was really just flipping on the on and off the light switch. Right. He was, doing a, he was doing a thing that was supposed to fool us to say that he was turning the lights out. And he, he was just so playful and so natural and uh, so loving. Like, I have kids. I, like, Josiah came in at the end of his audition he came over and like hugged every one of us and said, thank you for letting me be Dion today. I mean, he was just oh, yeah. kind of amazing. Was Esperanza, like, was that an original, ca- that wasn't part of the original storyline, right? Was she written into that or how'd that come about? Yeah, Esperanza is my, my, my little invention because, uh, I, because of the, I've lived in the world of special needs kids and I know a lot of kids in that, uh, in that space. Mm-hmm. And my son had a, a, a best friend named Esperanza. She's a real person. I, she's, but she's not um, the real Esperanza is not in a wheelchair. But but I sort of just took Esperanza's personality and grafted it onto the character of Esperanza. So <laughs> she's a mother hen. She does not see any kind of. Uh, she doesn't see herself in any way as less than anything. And she's just so funny and odd. And I. But what's amazing about finding Sammy Haney is that if I showed you the script page where she where that character is introduced. It, it is Sammy Haney. I, I, had, I, I wrote her. She's in a wheelchair. She's, uh, she's Latinx. She's, um, uh, you know, she has big glasses on, like the whole thing. And when, when we finally found Sammy, and it took a while, but when we finally found Sammy, it was literally like she just rolled off the page. It was, <laughs> I couldn't believe we found her. Yeah. And she had big pink glasses, and we love them so much. So, uh, yeah, no, she was, she was written in. I mean, she was... I, I try to put uh, people with disabilities or special needs kids or, you know, outsiders in, in most of the things I do. And so she was my, uh, I was like, Dion's going to have a, uh, well, the truth is, and I told the real Esperanza this recently, I said, so I named a character after you. And um, I said, you know, I just remember how protective you were of my son and what a good friend you were to him at a time he really needed friends. And I said, I just wanted Dion to have that. Mm-hmm. And so that's why Esperanza is there. Yeah, and that's... she doesn't, and the wheelchairs, you know, she doesn't lead with the wheelchair. She's not there just for the wheelchair, but um, but it was written that way. Exactly. That's so great because Sammy played that role so brilliantly, <laughs> honestly. Like just her interaction back and forth with Josiah 
was absolutely phenomenal. Like, especially, I go back to that classroom scene because you talk about there's so many stories that were actually told in this series. And I go back to that classroom scene where Dion lifts her up out of her chair to, like, make yeah. her feel like she can fly. But he's not thinking about how she would feel in that moment. So it's just so diverse. The storytelling is so brilliant. And like I said, Sammy was just great. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, she's a find, man. She's something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, what about Nicole? Because that is such a pivotal role in the storyline. How did Alicia Wainwright come into the picture? I mean, that must have been crazy trying to cast her. So we saw uh, we saw so many women, and we saw so many amazing women. We, By the way, we saw every woman who was ever in any cast of Hamilton. <laughs> and, and they're amazing. And But at the end of the day... Netflix was like, I don't think you found her yet. And we were so heartbroken because we were so ready to set the date to start shooting. Right. Sure. And, um, and we were like, okay, let's get back to it. And we all just felt like we're never going to find her. But in the next round of auditions, Alicia showed up on the tape because her show, Shadowhunters, was was canceled mm -hmm. while we were looking. And when when her show was canceled, she showed up on the casting tapes. And we so when we saw her tape, we all started like calling each other behind mm -hmm. the scenes. We didn't want to say anything on email in front of everybody, right. but right. like we, we started calling each other going, this is her, right? Like this is the one. And and then it was Michael B who was like, he goes, we, we said we were gonna have uh, chemistry reads again. And he goes, yeah, you can read as many people as you want, but she's she's one. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> That's epic. So yeah, when Michael B says no, it's Alicia. You're like, nope, it's Alicia. It's yeah, Alicia. I mean, you know, it's Alicia. And we all felt that way anyway. But yeah, no, we were like, nope. Yeah, and he totally had casting approval, particularly over that role. But right. Um, well, I tell you what, yeah. she was absolutely perfect because she's just captivating. Like when I she's do. on screen, you can't take your eyes off of her. Yeah. I mean, she's just oh, okay. and whether she, you know, in the mother role or whether she's going, you know, head to head with just. It, it, I mean, her and Josiah together yeah. were just my, <laughs> great. Honestly, I, I got to tell you that scene so where natural. they're singing in the car yeah. is got to be like one of the best things I've I seen ever. Yeah. I mean, it's so good, so good. Um, and she's just an amazing young actress. I hadn't seen her before. This was the first time I had seen her in anything, and just brilliant. I just thought she was a brilliant cast. Um, Thank you. But I got to tell by you, by the way, she hadn't really done much because. Four years before we met her, she was a PhD student in botany. She's oh, a scientist. Wow. wow. And yeah, and so what happened was she was going for her PhD, and th there was a certain very specific area that she wanted to study, and she was having trouble getting funding for that area, and she was being told to go into this more generalized area, and she just said, "I don't, I don't want to do that." And so she took a year off and just traveled. And while she was traveling, then uh, she got asked to do some modeling gigs. And anyway, one thing led to another. And she was like, well, if I'm going to do this kind of thing, I need to learn how to act. Because she's, right. she's a super serious, like, she's awesome. I adore her. But she is not a flighty person. She's not somebody who grew up like, I'm going to be an actress. She's right. She was a scientist. <laughs> and so she, um, she started taking super serious acting classes. And very quickly, she got cast on Shadowhunters, mm -hmm. which is the show she was on. And it lasted for two years 
and literally it got canceled and we snapped her up. So she hasn't done much. Well, that's one of those things. Like she, she takes a year off. She, it's one of those living life adventure exactly. things, right? That you yes. never know what's going to happen when you do it. Exactly. So, I mean, that's exactly. epic. Okay, but the secret weapon, in my opinion, and, and, and J-Lo's going gonna to back me up on this. Logan's going to back me up on that. We are all huge, huge, huge fans of Jason Ritter. We have basically, oh. I, I, I have followed his career extensively since the get-go, since yeah. I first saw him. Uh, I just think he's a brilliant actor. And when you cast Jason Ritter, and, okay, I, I, spoilers for all of our listeners out there. I'm going to spoil now because I think people yeah. have seen it at this point, I'm hoping. Um, you never think Jason Ritter, bad guy. I mean, you know, <laughs> he is the perfect lovable dork kind of you just want to squeeze him up, and then he's this horrific bad guy. And I'm thinking yeah. this is brilliant. And a, and a credit to your writing, I didn't see it coming. And I'm normally really good at seeing things coming. I didn't see it coming. So it, w- it was brilliant. How did you land Jason and how did he get involved? Because he was just phenomenal. And I thought his chemistry with Josiah and Alicia was, and Michael for that matter, was great. He's so good. I mean, he, I've always been a fan of his as well. I think the first time I saw him was on Joan of Arcadia. And I just always just loved him. Um, when when we when we were when we started casting this, and I had my first meeting with our casting director, she said, "You know who I thought of for Pat? I thought of Jason Ritter." And I said, "Yeah, let's yeah call Jason Ritter if he'll do it. Let's just do that. Like I don't need to see anybody." Else <laughs> I I knew, and by the way, it's never that easy, and it wasn't that easy this time. We had to go through everything, but. Of but he wanted to do it from the beginning. He had a bunch of other things scheduled, and we had to kind of. And he was having his wife was having a baby, so there was a lot to schedule. But he wanted to do it from the get, and that's before he knew that he was the bad guy. He loved the pilot. Right. And he just loved that character, and he's like, "I am that guy. I mm-hmm. am Dipper from from uh, you know uh, Gravity Falls. I am that guy." And and so so then there came a point where I had to call him and say, "Okay, dude, here's the deal. <laughs> here's who you really are." And then he was like, now I have to do it. You have to do this part. But the, the, the hope was we needed somebody who, when the audience saw that he was in the cast, that they immediately trusted him and mm-hmm. they immediately loved him. Yep. And you enjoy his company and you don't suspect anything because he's just so disarming and goofy and whatever. And the story is built so that you think his purpose in the story is that he's the kind of sidekick guy who never gets the girl but really wants the girl and all mm-hmm. of that's true but um but there's something much much darker <laughs> there <laughs> and, and when we uh when we when we broke the story in the writer's room we broke the crooked man's story separate from pat's story but they were right next to each other on the board so that we could make sure that they made sense mm-hmm. and that they timed out and that um you know when he got sick when he didn't you know what what is you know motivations were how right. when the when the sickness is escalating what he's doing and mm-hmm. so you know it, it it was it was a whole it was a whole thing but it makes me so happy that you didn't see it coming because I'm sure you're able to kind of look at the landscape of the show and go oh, I get where this is going right and right. I appreciate that Nor- normally yes but not on this one I was like totally shocked <laughs> it was crazy honestly because I mean he was such the warm loving guy that was like oh yes he's such a great godfather to Dion and like you kind of wished he would have ended up with Nicole I mean right when that yeah. kind of went sideways we were like oh man that sucks <laughs> here, 
here's how bad we are. Here's how bad we were actually mad at Nicole. Yeah. We're like, well, she <laughs> is leading him on. She is doing the bad. You know, we're like, it was it was so good. But what I really like though is that he was Pat was written so well. I think that even when you find out he's the bad guy, and even when he's doing some really nasty stuff, I was still rooting for him. I'm like, no, yeah, no, good. he's dying. Exactly. He, you, you, he's got a reason it's he's being radiation. bad. Yeah, it's, it's the radiation. radiation. You like, still wanted to like have things work out for this guy, and I, I just think that's a credit to how you crafted the character, and, and I thought that was really interesting, what you just said, that you wrote Pat and Crooked Man separate. That's like really yeah. interesting. So and Yeah, like the whole cabin scene when you, the final reveal happens, like the whole cabin scene when he goes to go try to get Dion, I'm just like, oh no, he feels so, I feel so bad for him in <laughs> yeah. general, but then like the overall storyline, it was just brilliant. It honestly. was, it, it was fantastic. And look, we're really pulling, we're with Jason on this, we saw Jason re- retweet, you know, like if you want a season two, dude, we're all over that. We yeah. want a season Thank two you. really, really bad, so we're just going to keep promoting the shit out of this show, because we really want it, and I need to know, is Jason coming back? What, what's the deal with how exactly. that ended? Like, are we going to see Jason Ritter again? we don't know um (laughs) but um yeah i just i it was great it was phenomenal um huge congratulations to you and i'm so it's so interesting to hear the process of how it all came together so so guys and gals if you're out there listening you're a fan you're trying to break into the industry rule number one call michael b (laughs) (laughs) if you you want anything done yeah Um, okay, I want to get serious for a minute, though, because, you know, part of the whole thing, and, and if you don't mind talking about this, I just think it's really interesting because we've had some guests on in the past, and we've kind of had this as a topic in the past over the last couple of years. As a female showrunner and as a female writer and, and leading a writer's room, what has that been like over the last couple of years with the Me Too movement and then moving into the whole broader spectrum of trying to get more diversity and trying to have more women lead in on on shows and in television and film did you run into any of the experiences or the struggles um early on in your career and have you seen a change how has it been over the past couple of years yeah that's a it's an interesting story all of that stuff happens and it happens a lot and i think that people feel vulnerable to it early on in their careers and so and i have had friends who've dealt with those kinds of situations I can only tell you my story mm-hmm. and, and I don't really have that story although I've witnessed really bad behavior um, and it's one of the reasons that I wanted to be a showrunner because when I uh, when I became a showrunner I had when I became a writer I already had my two kids I have two sons mm-hmm. and my kids were little and I was really lucky. The first show I was on, Providence, had a super awesome and professional and wonderful showrunner named Bob De Laurentiis, and he liked his family and mm-hmm. he liked to go home. <laughs> and he didn't he didn't work out his weirdness on any of us. He he was very much like, hey, you're a staff writer, which is the lowest level. You're a staff writer. You don't have to be here all the time. Write your scripts. Be here for the story breaks, and then go home with your kids. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to be here. And he was great that way. So I had a really good example when I first started off of a a showrunner who was a good guy and a a healthy person emotionally. Um, So that when I, when I, but I certainly knew about terrible, terrible work Mm -hmm. situations that other people had. And um, I, I didn't experience any of that to tell you the truth. What I have found is that 
Um, I I became a showrunner so that I could create and control the environment and mm-hmm. the culture of the show. Number one, so that I could get home to my kids, mm-hmm. and that so that if I wanted to stop the writers' room at six p.m. and get home to my kids, and then write from nine to two in the morning if necessary, then right. that's what I did. But it didn't mean that I had to be in a writers' room until two in the morning. You know, I so because I was in charge. So um, so becoming a showrunner was one of the ways to defend against that. I really haven't had that kind of, um, it's probably happened to me and I'm not even aware of it in terms of not getting certain jobs or not, I don't know, it may be, but I started out, I became a showrunner at CBS under Nina Tassler and there were a lot of female showrunners there at that time and I felt very supported. The first two shows I was on and they both ran for five, six years each, one was Providence, which was a chick show, and one was Judging Amy, which was a chick show. So I felt like the beginning of my career into me becoming a showrunner, mm-hmm. I was on female shows with predominantly female staff. So I um, I, I felt pretty um, stable by the time I became a showrunner. I haven't had much of that in terms of men not uh, respecting me or not, I, I, because you kind of handpick the people that you feel comfortable with. Right. And, and if you're not comfortable with them, you fire them. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that that takes care of that. But um, I, I think that what I have definitely seen with raising Dion is that, and, and going forward, I, I will always do this and uh, to the best of my ability. Um, we need, uh, our, raising Dion, our default was to have women and people of color in every role. Absolutely. And, that, and, and so we had plenty of women white dudes and I love my white dudes so I, yeah, I have no problem with my white dudes but it's like we had plenty of them on the staff but our default position was let's find excellent people in these roles who don't get these positions and exactly. also not have one token person or one woman in the room I can't tell you how many times I was the only woman in the room mm. um, so and sometimes when I was the showrunner you know <laughs> because of what the show was or who was making the decisions about staffing um, so with, with Raising Dion we have the most diverse staff I've ever been on uh, in terms of uh, people who are uh, racially diverse, uh, a lot of women, and people who were, uh, you know, uh, non-binary or, or, or you know, uh, sexual orientation. Right. We, we had a very diverse staff and what was and then a very diverse crew. I mean, you, people would walk onto our set and they were like, I have never seen this many people of color behind the cameras. It's like the whole crew, you know? So it was, what was wonderful about it was I really understood in a deep way that you get different stories told Mm -hmm. when people are in the room. There were stories in Raising Dion that I could not possibly have known. Number one, uh, we have a writer named uh, uh, Dana Jackson and who's fantastic. And Dana, when he came to meet with, us about staffing on Raising Dion. He he said, "Oh, I love how the, you know raising you know this little this little African American kid and his superpowers that you have that you're doing this metaphor of what it's like to be black in America right. and how she's going to have to protect him and she's going to have to have the talk with him." And I was like, "What are we talking about here?" Right. And Dane is the one who pitched that whole story, and so because to me. I, I saw Dion in a different way, which mm-hmm. was um, from my own lens, because right. I have two kids, and one of my kids was born extremely premature, and so had some special needs. So when I saw the story, I thought, oh, well, this is a mom of a special needs kid. His special need is just that he's got superpowers, but 
it's really the same thing. You're trying to get that kid through life and negotiating life and how to, you know, you have to keep him safe from the world and keep the world safe from him, figure out what he's capable of, feel, feel out, figure out how he can be the best he can be, all of that. So to have Dana come to me and say, oh, I see it this way, it's like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to tell these. We, so many stories can exist under this umbrella. But I wouldn't have known that had I not had a diverse staff. Absolutely. And and what I love about that is that you say, you know, diverse writer's room, a diverse, you know, executive staff, diverse crew, it heavily played over into the the in front of the camera, you know, the the talent, because it was also a very diverse cast. And I think that shows. And I love the idea because, you know, Dion, he's basically his whole life been around, you know, Pat, who's this white guy. He he has no clue there are bad white people out there, you know, so that storyline was brilliant, by the way. And um, so, yeah, I it just again, I, I mean, kudos on the show and we're really pulling for a season two. I just think this has been like a really informative. I, I just love how how it's been extremely entertaining talking about raising Dion and all of the stuff. That, but then so informative about your thought process, about how it came about and what went into the characters and how you found the people. And, and just this is the kind of stuff that I, I love these type interviews where you can have a really good time. And yet it's so informative and so helpful to people that are listening and trying to do these things. It, it, it's been like I love these things. A great job. Huge congratulations. Thank you so much. And thanks to you guys. I mean, this is this is so much fun to just talk to people who are, you know, fans of TV, fans of writing, fans of all of this, and really are knowledgeable about how it all gets put together. So thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. Well, and honestly, it helps us out a little bit because we are also a television and film production company and have our stuff oh. in the works at the moment. That's so right. you're helping us out a lot. Good. Well, good. Good, good, good. Yeah. yeah, always informative, always helps with, you know, uh, yeah, we love that. So, okay, what do you have coming up? Because we, we have to know. I, we're hoping season two of Raising yeah. Dion. Um, but what else do you have in the works? What you got coming up in the future? I have, um, yeah, I'm definitely holding, you know, fingers are crossed for season two. I'm, I'm hoping for that. Well, we should know in the next not too distant future. Um, so definitely that. But um, I have two pitches that I'm taking out with different production companies, uh, both based on books. One of them's a half-hour comedy um, based on a memoir of a a woman, and uh, it's called Help Me. She -hmm. decides that she's going to do self-help books and and, and really, really do them chapter and verse until her life is perfect. Um, And then there's another one that is uh, based on a sci-fi book called The Calculating Stars. It won the Nebula Award and the Orion and the, uh, she's, it's won a bunch of awards. Um, And that's a, that's an alt history of the space program that's where women and people of color are sort of building it from the beginning. So that's a big world sci-fi, big world thing. Um, So I've got that. And then there are, there are a couple of things that are, are sort of being offered to me. So I'm, I'm weighing those now, but um, it's exciting. It's it's cool because some of the people are calling me and saying, "Okay, I saw Raising Dion. You're the perfect person to write this." It's like, oh, okay. Well, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I would have to agree. I mean, I just think there's like massive things coming in your future because how can how can there not be after Raising Dion? It was just so brilliantly done. Uh, just fantastic. Um. Okay, where can everybody follow you? Because social media is the end-all, be-all today, and we want to make sure everybody can follow you. So where can they find you? Yeah, uh, 
Instagram. I'm not on Twitter right now. I, I came off Twitter, but I'm on Instagram, cbarbie1. Uh, that would be great. We awesome. We got you. We got you. And what we like to do at the end of every interview is have our guests leave a little piece of advice for the up-and-comers trying to break into the industry. And so what pitfalls would you say to try to avoid? Um, I would say, well, uh, the thing I really love to t say to people is something that was said to me by only one person, by the way. Uh, there was only one person who said this to me, but it was enough to, to, to make me feel like I could do it. Um, the main thing is come do it. Come do it. Like jump in. Yes. Jump in. Don't ask for permission. Jump in. People are making making their lives in this industry and telling stories and making their dreams come true every day. Mm -hmm. Why not you? It's it's absolutely possible. And you just have to, you know, come here and start networking and writing and writing and writing or whatever it is, the, whatever part of the business you want to be in. But if you're a writer, write and make those connections. And uh, there, I just like people to understand that it's that it's possible because I think that it can feel so impossible when you're from a little town, you know, in North Carolina or wherever. It can feel kind of impossible, and it's just not. And once you kind of get hooked on the joy of collaborating and telling stories with people, um, if you've got good stories to tell, if you've got stories to tell, and if you're really willing to work hard, it's just possible. So come on out. Come on out and do it. I love that. Yeah, so seriously. inspiring. That's our philosophy as well because, you know, we came when we when we met each other and we got together and formed our company and are doing what we're doing. We were in like Biloxi, Mississippi, which like really yeah. nobody's ever heard of. Yeah. And like now we're based in L.A. We're working on several projects. We're doing this podcast and we're meeting all kinds of people and networking. And you're right. You can do it. If you're determined and, and you want and you, you have a goal and you have a dream and you work hard, you can do it. And so it's always yeah. here to, you know, nice to hear people like yourself so inspiring and for other people to hear that i just we cannot thank you enough for that well thank you guys i'm i'm really i'm so happy to get to talk to you guys and thank you for the love for raising dion it's just so appreciated it's such a personal you know it's such a personal project and i i just am so i, I really appreciate it oh yeah we we appreciate you <laughs> yeah, yeah seriously seriously and i mean if you ever want to come back on open invite honestly if you have any other shows that you're wanting to promote in, in the near future you know you know <laughs> like raising dion yeah. season two <laughs> like Dion season two yeah, that's right exactly. Uh, Thank you yes. so much. I appreciate it. Not a problem. Not a problem. Open invite, and uh, we hope you have a great rest of your day and a great rest of your week because we you know we got you got a lot of things coming. Thank you. You guys too. All right. Thank you. Have, have a good, good day, day now. All right. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye. Bye.